Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, greetings and salutations on this Thursday afternoon. On a rainy Thursday in the great state of Alabama, my wife and I returned last night from New Orleans, Louisiana, where we had attended the uh, Southern Baptist Convention's 2023 annual meeting and thought I might just give some insights or some thoughts on uh, the overall meeting and, and takeaways that uh, at least I I have from <clears throat> the meeting. And so one of the concerns that we had going into this particular meeting was the issue with women's um, women being ordained as pastors, which obviously is contrary to God's word. In First Timothy, as Paul lays out the qualifications for elders and bishops, pastors, and so that's one of the issues with this uh, topic is because of the terminology, and for some people it may be a matter of semantics, and uh, we might have made it that way because as Southern Baptists, and in general, I think as evangelicals, we choose to use the term pastor for those who are in leadership roles in the church. While that is a word we see in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's a gift that God's given, and it goes along with the, the leading of the sheep, the tending of the flock, if you will, and the teaching of the flock. I think pastor, teacher go hand in hand. And so, in my opinion, that correlates with bishop and elder. Uh, an overseer that we see uh, other places in the scripture, and in particular as Paul uses those terms for leadership. So I think for Southern Baptists, pastor has become synonymous for those biblical terms of overseer and elder. And uh, for some people, that, that has caused some of the issue. But needless to say, that that's the term that we use to identify that particular office. Uh, so uh, no matter if you call it pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, uh, that office is held for or qualified men, as Paul makes clear to Timothy uh, in his epistle to to Timothy. And so that was a big issue that was coming into this uh, convention, and it related to they really, I think there were six churches, either five or six, that were um, deemed to be in unfriendly cooperation with the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Three of those appealed uh, that decision by the executive committee, which took place in February. And so they appealed it at this convention meeting. Uh, two of them were over the issue of female uh, pastors. The other one, um, and I can't think of the name. I always forget the name of uh, the second one. The first one was Fern Creek, which is a Southern Baptist church that has a female pastor, senior pastor, lead pastor, however you want to describe it. And she made her case uh, why the executive committee should overturn that decision and the members should vote for that. And then the other one was other one was Saddleback. Obviously, most people have heard of Saddleback 
church out in California and Rick Warren, uh, who had been on a Twitter, uh, a Twitter um, rampage, for lack of a better way to put it, over the last few uh, weeks or months heading up to the convention trying to lay out his case for why they should be allowed to remain in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, although they have ordained multiple women as pastors and the current pastor, uh, uh, which Rick Warren is no longer the senior pastor there. He's probably pastor emeritus, but the the one who took his place is a, is a husband and wife team. Uh, so it's a pastor and his wife are pastors there. And so, needless to say, he laid out his case. Now, Moeller responded for on behalf of the executive committee for Rick or for against uh, in favor of the executive committee's decision against Rick Warren's church, Saddleback, and Fern Creek. And the third church that appealed was over a sexual abuse issue, uh, where they had hired a pastor who had been uh, at least deemed to have been uh, in some way involved in a sexual abuse abuse case. Uh, Needless to say, all all of those, all of those were upheld in in an overwhelming manner. Uh, The the messengers uh, upheld the executive committee's decision to deem those churches no longer in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. So that that was a concern for me going into it. While, you know, even in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, it states clearly that, hey, women are a vital part of what we do in ministry in the church, and they have many roles, many gifts, many responsibilities, and can serve in many, many ways. And quite frankly, if women weren't serving in the church, most churches would be in a very, very uh, bad place because women carry a lot of load in most Southern Baptist churches, but the Bible is still clear on the issue of those who would be elders, bishops, overseers, or the term the Southern Baptists choose to use, pastors, uh, it is for qualified men as as described in First uh, Timothy chapter 3. So that was really encouraging because it was not just, a, a, you know, it wasn't a split where you had to do a ballot vote to count it. It was a, it was a, as unanimous as you can get, you know, it was 90, 90, 90, well, they did do secret ballot and go back up. They did do secret ballot, but it, it was 96% on one is over 90% on the second one. The, the, the lowest yes or affirmation was, uh, it, regarding the saddleback, it was only 88% there, but still it's overwhelming majority of the messengers voted in 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 those cases so it showed two things one that southern baptists are serious about the issue of of sexual abuse uh, and that we are uh, doing everything that we can as a convention to put up safeguards and and, and provide tools to help uh, um, to help eradicate that issue as being a problem in Southern Baptist churches and that Southern Baptists hold firm to the sound doctrine of God's word as it relates to who should hold the office of uh, pastor, overseer, elder, uh, bishop. So in, in those senses, in those things, I am very encouraged for the Southern Baptist Convention. 
Then secondly, the, and, and related to the issue of Fern Creek and Saddleback was uh, Pastor Mike Law. I think he's in Virginia. He pastored a church in Virginia. And he had uh, proposed an amendment to go to Article 3 of the Southern Baptist Convention's um, uh, um, Constitution. And in Article 3, it talks about the issue of being uh, in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention and being unfriendly cooperation. And it gives one example in as a parenthetical example in Article 3, and it relates to the issue of homosexuality. It says, hey, if a church, you know, uh, celebrates homosexuality or, or, you know, brings known homosexual, uh, people on as, you know, pastors or whatever. If they, if they, if they, uh, cave into this world's ideology relating to that, then they would no longer be in, un, be in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. And so Mike Law's amendment, while in, in Article 6 of the Baptist Faith and Metrics 2000, it is really clearly stated that the office of pastor is only for qualified, biblically qualified men. But Mike Law's amendment was to put that in the Constitution in a codified way uh, as well, to explicitly state in that, in that passage or in that article in the, in the Constitution that in, that a church who would, in essence, what it would say was a church, what the implication would be is, is a church, if a church hired a woman as a pastor of any kind, whatever kind of capacity you want to have it, because that's where the semantic idea comes in. And, and there is some debate over this issue, and some people have changed the names of what they call people, because there are a lot, there are a lot of churches, honestly, that have women who are uh, children's ministers uh, and women's ministers in those kinds of ways. And some churches had been using the title pastor to that. And again, it just if, if, if I were to be honest about it, my biggest thing uh, as it regards to Saddleback and it, re- and it relates to Fern uh, Creek, and really there, there's, there's more churches that ought to be addressed in this issue. But uh, my, my biggest thing is the ordination aspect of it because what we are saying when we ordain those ladies in that role of pastor, we are bringing them on par with what we would consider to be those who are elders or deacons, or, or excuse me, well, even deacons, but elders or bishops or, or pastors, because that's how we, as Southern Baptists, have decided that we would uh, set aside people in that role of lead pastor. And I get it, not every pastor is ordained. And, uh, you know, old Spurgeon said at one time, ordination is nothing more than putting empty hands on empty heads. But there is precedent in, in the Bible because I think Paul even talks to Timothy about, you know, staying true to those things that he had learned and to the gifts that he had received by the laying on of hands. So there is an argument in the Bible for the idea of ordination. But needless to say, as Southern Baptists, that is the way that we set aside those men who would be in those leaders and have oversight over the congregation. 
And so when we begin to ordain people and put them into that position, and if we use the term pastor, then the implication is that person is on par with that pastoral team and that elder team, and they have that authority over uh, the parishioners the same as any other elder would. And, And to me, that's where the problem comes in because, hey, you know, I have no problem with women who are dealing with children's ministry or teaching Sunday school. Uh, and again, there's debate over the issue of whether it should be co-ed or, or you know, women's class, or whatever. What we do at our church now is we are we are transitioning to a family integrated church model uh, where we're going away for we're moving away from age segregation because I believe the family is the heart of um, of the social unit. Uh, in this world, that's the way God designed it, and we're going to focus in on on helping to disciple strong families, uh, so we can strengthen the church. We can strengthen uh, our society, our neighborhood, our culture by by developing strong. Christian families who in turn disciple uh, their families. And we're calling men to be in to take on that leadership role that God has ordained them for in the home and to be that spiritual leader to 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 disciple their wife, to disciple their their children, and then you know work together as a as a as a unit and fellow Christians to impact the world for for the kingdom of God. So, you know, I, I have no problem with women teaching that, you know, Paul clearly says that he doesn't have, allow women to have authority over uh, men. And again, a lot of people have a problem with that issue of the patri- patriarchal design of God in scripture. And can that be abused? Yes, it can. Does every man do what he needs to do? No, he does not. Absolutely not. But that is the biblical model. And if we're going to be true to God's word, then we need to do the best that we can to live in light of that biblical model in a God honoring, honoring way. So Anyway, uh, I think it's, uh, women can serve in many capacities in the church, and so it's encouraging in that light. What we're, we're going to be true to God's word and true to Scripture, because almost every denomination that goes down this road to allow female pastors is a denomination that ultimately slips into, or falls into, or runs headlong into liberalism and begins to deny uh, the entirety of the truth of God's word and to make a god of their own design and to manipulate. God's word for their own purposes, and we want to hold true to that, true to the the, the word of God in the Southern Baptist Convention, and so that was encouraging uh, to me. Now, another side issue, Mike Law's amendment was passed. I guess that's where I was going. Went a long way to get there, but his amendment was uh, was passed. Now, the only the caveat to that is. Uh, this amendment has to be passed two years in a row. So next year, uh, they will vote on that same amendment. It, it, his amendment was amended. It was a friendly amendment because he and another pastor had talked about it, and they offered this the, the friendly amendment to his original verbiage to put in the Constitution. But anyway, needless to say, the implication is the same. Uh, and it is very explicit about uh, the role of pastor in uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. So uh, that passed. It'll have to be passed again uh, next year. And the next year is going to be in Indiana. So I don't know. There are over, over 12,000 messengers there this week. Um, so I don't know how many will make it to Indiana. Uh, 
I definitely won't. It's not within driving distance, and that's uh, uh, it'll be a good chunk of change to get, to get up there and, and stay and fly and all those kinds of things. So I uh, just pray that the Lord, whoever, whoever the Lord uh, sends up there, that they will honor that amendment and they would they would vote for it again, and it would be uh, officially codified into the Constitution. So that's an encouraging uh, part of it. <clears throat> And another encouraging part of it is that we continue to be strong on the issue of missions and sending people around the world and starting churches and doing North American missions. And so that's still the focus of the convention. And, and there are some in the convention who try to make this false dichotomy between doctrine and the mission. And uh, I'll talk about that. I guess I might as well talk about that now. There's one uh, incident there. The, the, they always have, usually on Wednesdays, the, the second day, they usually have uh, a convention sermon, and they'll just they'll choose someone to bring in. This was uh, Todd Unzaker, I think his name was. I think it's U-N-Z-E-K-E-R or U-N-Z-I-K-E-R. He, he is the state executive for the North Carolina Baptist. Uh, I think they used to call him D-O-M, Director of Mission for the State, but state executive. Very, very, uh, I mean, a very, very good uh, orator, uh, can speak really well, uh, can, can uh, you know, inspire and fire you up. And so he started off really, really good with his sermon, talking about his conversion, his wife's conversion, and how missions played a great role in their conversion and missionaries and the things that that led him to in his life and, and so on and so forth. And then almost the last two, I've only been to two, I'll be honest with you, this is the first, this, the, the one in, in Tennessee uh, and the one this year, the, the, the one in Tennessee was my first, this was my second that I've actually attended personally. And in both of those, during the sermon from the platform of, for the convention sermon, in both of those, the sermon ended up becoming a bully pulpit to beat down those people who were raising these tough questions about doctrinal issues in the Southern Baptist Convention. And this was no different. He used this sermon, at least portions of it, while, like I said, you could probably say 90% of it was good sermon. And he did end up going to a passage of scripture and revelation and not necessarily exegeting it the way that I think it would have been better exegeted. But needless to say, he, he made some good points from that and, and, and told the line of being on mission together, you know, uh, this idea, this theme of, of the convention. But he ended up using it as a bully pulpit to speak strike out against or lash out against cert, uh, certain people who are who are the loudest voices on, on this issue of female pastors and uh, that raise these tough questions about doctrine uh, even say, even to the point of say you know, are we going to be led by people or swayed by people who who post more than they pray in other words talking about their social media um, dialogue over this issue and then he, at some point, called them a uh, good, good turn of phrase. Now, I like it, and I'm going to use it because uh, I think it, it hits home with me. It is, uh, uh, he called them uh, Southern Fried Pharisees. 
Uh, so as you can see, it, it was a dig and there, there were several others I can't remember right now. And so, uh, you know, since I agree with that and Hey, I have posted and done, done Facebook, you know, lives and, and done podcasts and tweets and things about interacting with people about this issue. So I guess I'm a Southern fried Pharisee, uh, as well. So not only was that a dig against people who are raising these questions about the false doctrine that has crept into the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, it's also a dig on Southerners to some degree, I guess, because of our Southern fried, uh, but speaking of the Bible Belt and those kinds of things, whatever. But anyway, so from your friendly Southern fried Pharisee, uh, that may even become my handle. I don't know. I may use that some way, but... Uh, so he put them digs on there. And, you know, the one thing is, and it's all about unity. You know, they all want to be about unity. And, and again, we ought to be unified on our mission. We ought to be unified on our purpose. We ought to be unified on the gospel. But if you have a unified convention that is crumbling at its core over the issue of sound doctrine, that it is, it is eventually going to collapse, no matter uh, how unified you are on the mission. If the core uh, is, is, is crumbling, the convention is going to collapse. So uh, I don't think there's this false dichotomy there. We, we, we must be a people of sound doctrine uh, that, that hold firm to the truths of God's word and part of that is to be unified on the mission of reaching people for Jesus Christ. But we must do that while also ma maintaining sound doctrine. So, uh, you know, I, I get it up there. They, they got the bully pulpit and they, they can say whatever they want to. But it, it was really divisive uh, to, to, to use their word. They don't want us to be divisive, but uh, divisive. They, they were they were being very divisive uh, in, in that kind of 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 language. And how, how do you know, how do you, how can you even know what a person's prayer life is unless you are a personal friend with that person and talk about those kinds of issues, right? It's just, it's just really a disingenuous thing to say. It's just, it's just a soundbite, uh, you know, that, that, uh, can be used, uh, later on. And that's all it was, was for. But anyway, that, that was a discouraging part of it. And, and there's a, several of them that are like that. Like I say, last couple of sermons that I've heard from there have been that way. Um, they, they have some good things, but they also, use it as a bully pill pit to try to quiet or shut down those who are uh, asking tough questions. And so that carried on <clears throat> into some of the uh, some of the questions that came from the floor as it related to some of the reports that were given. And in particular, one was uh, Lifeway, uh, and I can't remember the Lifeway president's name, but uh, he really got upset because of some questions that were that were asked from the floor, uh, from from messengers regarding the issue of Lifeway's uh, continued. Uh, putting out of what the messenger called wishy-washy or shallow uh, material. <laughs> the question was, when are we going to get some deep, you know, good, godly, sound, uh, theological material coming out of Lifeway? And I've had that criticism for Lifeway for quite some time, but, you know, the Probably the better one of the better one, books that I've seen in Lifeway is uh, Explore the Bible. It's kind of what, it's the one we use from uh, for our Sunday school because it it is the closest thing to e e expository uh, examination of the Scripture. <clears throat> and still, it, it doesn't go really deep enough sometimes, and it is kind of shallow in the things that they ask and, and questioned. But anyway, it's a valid question. When, when, but anyway, he didn't like to answer that question, but 
hey, if you're president of one of the entities and you give a report in a business meeting, you got to be prepared to answer questions, whether you like those questions uh, or not. So that, that ruffled his feathers a little bit, and, and he, he kind of gave a little smackdown uh, a bit about that. But uh, the, 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 those are those, those, that's the way it goes. And that, another issue uh, was on the... Um, A-R-I-T-F, which is Abuse Report, um, I forget the exact name of it, the Investigation Task Force, I think it is. It's the task force that has, that was put together to try to come up with a plan or a way to provide tools uh, that would help churches when they go to um, hire someone for a position that they can vet that person out based on some of these tools that they have. And it also uh, was to provide tools to help churches uh, with volunteers, you know, how to how to make sure that they put people in places beyond just the background check and those kind of things. So there's a website that they've got uh, now that you can go uh, look at. And uh, eventually it's going to have names on there. And, you know, there were some tough questions about that because there's, I think there are four categories they talked about in this uh, abuse um, tool, online tool that they're going to have of people whose names are going to be there. Because what they're trying to do, and, and, and I get it, they're trying to guard against this idea that if a person commits a, uh, an abuse at one church in one state, and let's say that person never goes to trial or there's not a conviction or anything like that. They're trying to come up with a ways that that person can't just leave that state and go to another state and get hired on in another church uh, who had no idea what he'd done in the other state or she does, mostly he's done in another state and then come and and you know, perpetrate the same atrocities in a different place because no one was able to know that they done that. And so one of the areas is, is convicted. In other words, they have, uh, been found guilty in trial that they are uh, a sex offender. And so they would go on that list. Well, we, we really already got a list for that in, in the United States anyway, but that's one idea, one of them. Then the other one is confession, that that person confesses, uh, whether they go to trial or not, they confess to this, uh, to an abuse and their name goes on there. Um, and I can't remember the third one right off the top of my head, but the fourth one is really the one that is causing the most concern for people. And the fourth one is the uh, credibly accused uh, list. And so that is if a person is accused of this, of an abuse, and that uh, that accusation is found to be credible, uh, so whether or not the person confesses or whether or not they have a trial and are convicted, if that if that confession is seen is found to be credible, they will go on that uh, on that list uh, of credibly accused people, and and that's the one where there's the most concern. And again, they they've come up with some ways that using you know lawyers and agencies and you know qualified people to vet out all these uh, accusations to make sure that it's not false accusations and those kinds of things. But it is still a very, very, um, very, very dangerous thing 
Uh, and, you know, the thing that comes to my mind is, is the Me Too kind of thing that's gone on in the past in, in our country. You know, if someone accuses someone of something, you know, how are you going to vet and make sure that that accusation is actually true and the person did do that? So how do you do that? Because you're almost doing an investigation and you are going to come to a conclusion and you're going to put a person's name on the list without due process to that person who was able to, uh, you know, stand before a judge, stand before a jury and have representation, uh, in, in the, in the whole, how, how do you get around that, that aspect? So that, to me, that, that's, that is the, the most dangerous and scary part of this. And I get it. We, we, no, no one should want anyone to abuse another person, uh, whether it's in a church setting or in a, in a secular setting, uh, it is atrocious and it is sinful. And the person who is, is, is found guilty of those things should receive the full brunt of the punishment that the law will provide. And if it's sexual abuse on a person, if it's uh, sexual abuse, rape on women or children, then in my opinion, that person ought to ought to be facing the, the death penalty if they are convicted of that. But we just have to be careful about people who make accusations, who vets those accusations, and who is the one to deem that it is a person who is credibly accused. Because once that person's name goes on this list, no matter what you find out later on, maybe he comes up later on and you find out, hey, we made a mistake. This person didn't actually do these things or whatever. It's too late because it's, he's on that list, she's on that list, and that is going to follow that person for the rest of their life. And so that's the most, that's the scariest part of this uh, tool that's being uh, put into play. And people, I think, legitimately are asking questions about how that process is going to work out. And, and this committee or this task force, uh, ARIT ELF task force is going to, it, it is working to bring some answers to those questions. And so they were, they were, it was voted uh, this time that that task force would be extended for a year, another year, so that they can try to work these, uh, work out some of these issues, especially related with that fourth, that fourth category. And one of the examples of that was a messenger who was a pastor from a church who asked a question related to that because his church, someone in his church had been put on a report that God Post, I think it was, uh, had put out uh, and, and named him the person and named the church that the person was associated with uh, as uh, a sex offender, one who was credibly accused, and come to find out that that person in, was not uh, associated with that church when those things might have went on with that particular person, but still, and yet the church's name was associated with that person. And because of that, people left the church, uh, people leery about the church. So, uh, it even, it doesn't even, it doesn't just denigrate the name of the person. It denigrates the name of a church that might be associated with that. And of course they said that on this list, on this new tool that they have, churches won't be, uh, named specifically in on that. But anyway, those are some of the questions. But overall, I think there is some encouragement on the doctrinal side of Southern Baptists that we are still uh, holding to the best of our ability 
to uh, Orthodox Christianity and the truth of God's word. Now, that doesn't mean we're out of the woods because I think there are still some in leadership who uh, have a different agenda as it relates to the whole issue of the spirit of this age, because we still hear this same term that a, that a world is watching. Well, good, a world is watching, and they need to see that we're going to stay firm on God's word. But when they use the term the world is watching, they're saying, hey, let us not, let us not do something or say something that's going to cause the world not to like us. Uh, well, the problem is the world doesn't like the gospel anyway, and that's part of our problem as Christians. We think that the world, uh, by nature, loves the gospel. All we got to do is go out and, and they're going to love it and embrace it. No, we're, we're at odds. We're at en- we're enemies of God. Uh, we're a- in animosity against God. We are in rebellion against God and it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to come into our life and to regenerate us and to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment and to re- regenerate our minds, or regenerate our hearts so that we can see that we are in fact in rebellion against God because prior to that, we really uh, have no idea and we don't discern spiritual things because they are spiritually discerned and we are carnal uh, when we are apart from uh, a relationship with Christ. So uh, that that's that's a problem in the way we look at the world. We, we shouldn't do things because we want the world to like us. We should do things because they honor God and they're true to his word and then trust God as we go out and share the gospel with the world that is, that is lost and we make those uh, disciples. So uh, it is encouraging. There's still some folks in leadership uh, I think that have a different view and uh, have a different idea as it relates to cultural uh, uh, CRT and and wokeness and all those kinds of things. And you can see it in the way that they do uh, some things as it relates to the convention. Uh, but just keep praying. And I think there's some issues with with the corporate program spending. We saw that at uh, I think it was Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you saw my post on on Facebook about that, uh, that uh, 140 million dollars in the hole. Not to mention this ARITF task force and the things that are taking place in relation to this uh, the the abuse uh, issues in Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, 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 a firm or uh, the auditing firm for them has told them, "Hey, uh, th- this is this is financially untenable." Uh, I think it was over six million dollars over the past year that they've had to they've had to de- uh, deal out uh, for this, and and the financial uh, the financial folks for the executive committee said this is not tenable. We 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 cannot continue uh, to to spend this kind of money and still be in existence. So. Anyway, there's still some issues that are there. We just need to pray, and we need to be wise with our stewardship with uh, with these entities. We need to keep focusing on or paying attention to how these seminaries are or what these seminaries are teaching because they're training the next generation to come up behind us. And if they're teaching them these woke issues and, and caving into the, the culture and these liberal ideologies on, on the scripture, uh, then we, we may want to change how we go about supporting missions in the Southern Baptist Convention. And one of the things that I learned, and uh, I, I don't know, we'll, we'll talk about it, but one of the things that I learned is that you don't have to give to the corporate program to remain in friendly corporation with Southern Baptists. If you give money to any one of the entities, 
you can still be in in in, in uh, friendly corporation and still be able to send messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention during the annual meeting. So you can give directly to various entities of the Southern Baptist Convention and meet your requirements, uh, and not just pour a lump sum into our monies into the corporate program that are going to be going to places that uh, would abuse and and misuse that money, as we've seen with Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I believe it was, uh, Alan, uh, I can't remember green, uh, but anyway, uh, you can go look that up and, and find, find the name of that college. But anyway, kind of encouraged, uh, still have some issues. I think we got to work through and we'll see in the coming years. Uh, but, uh, hope, uh, hope that kind of gives you some insight as to what took place and, uh, just continue to be praying for the Southern Baptist, uh, convention because it is one of the greatest, um, organizations when it comes to missions efforts in not only the United States, but in this world. And so just, just continue to pray, uh, that God would continue to use us and keep us, uh, true to his word. Well, uh, until next time, uh, I guess Sunday we'll do, uh, uh, Lord willing, uh, our sermon to go up Sunday, uh, in the 10 commandments, we'll be dealing with the second commandment on Sunday and then Sunday evening, Lord willing, we'll begin our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. So I uh, hope you will uh, find those on uh, Facebook and on uh, YouTube and on Rumble and on the podcast, RK Ministries podcast, and, uh, and follow those as we go through those things. So until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and cause, your, cause his face to shine upon you.